you're on. Okay. Well, welcome everybody back to Country Drive, and I am honored to introduce our guest today, Mr. Philip Bowen. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me here. A true up-and-coming talent <laughs> that seems to be enjoying himself and had an amazing morning. Yeah. Why don't you tell people what happened to you this morning? I had a great morning. I was getting ready to um, go over to practice with the band for Whiskey Jam tonight, and my phone just started going crazy. And um, I guess on the Today Show this morning, one of the hosts, Hoda, was like talking to another host and said, this is one of my favorite songs right now. Pulls up this cover I did of Don't Worry, Be Happy. Mm-hmm. And I did that. Uh, many, many uh, months ago on like an iPad. That's iPad audio. I just tried to put something on Spotify. Anyways, she plays it on the stage. She says, you got to check him out. This is Philip Bowen. And my phone was just going crazy all morning. So that was exciting. Well, the song f- fits you well because, <laughs> you know, everything I know about you and I follow you on social media and I watch some of your live streams and that's part of your spirit that you're bringing to, the, to music right now is on top of talent, true happiness and joy for everything that you're doing. And I love it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I try. I try to, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting my ninth life chance at music kind of a situation. You know, I'll, I'll try it one more time and see if it sticks. And so I just, I've been trying to enjoy every little thing and have fun with it. And yes, it goes where it goes, you know. I love it. Let me show you, um, Ben, if we can pull up on YouTube. I, is that audio able to be piped in? Not right now. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, then I won't even bother with it. But this is the video, you know. So the thing about social media for me is, you know, seven out of 10 times I sign on, I leave feeling a little bit more empty. Sure. A little more depressed about the state of the world. Mm -hmm. But one day I sign on and here you are playing Amazing Grace in this church. Yeah. And I mean, I immediately start reposting it. (sighs) And I'm just like, who is this guy? He's he's the kind of person I want to know because of the talent he's showing. And I started getting into your music. And so I just bring it out that, you know, one of the things about social media, and you're someone who knows how to use it very Mm -hmm. well nowadays, is that it's one of the ways that you can find amazing talent. Yeah, it's, you know, and for me, I've been playing the fiddle since I was four and I love doing it. It's a big part of who I am. And for me, it's been such a good tool to get my my original stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Because the, the whole thing about, as you know, with this industry, there are so many talented people. Like, almost more than you'd even believe. Mm-hmm. And there's so many great songwriters that never get heard. And so um, there's a really well-known country artist who's been very good to me. And it gave me a lot of good advice. And he told me that early on. He's like, hey, you know, you make you got to make enough noise so people will hear you. And you have to find a way to stand out and separate yourself. And so the fiddle's been kind of my tool to do that. And then if I can do something like that and bring people a little bit of joy, it's more icing on the cake for sure. Well, I appreciate you for it. And um, (laughs) I was telling Philip before the episode that while Justin Timberlake Timberlake might have been the guy that brought Sexy back, (laughs) Philip's going to be our guy that's bringing fiddle back. That's right. And I'm here for for it. More fiddle. Well, let me ask you real quick, as we're in the beginning of this episode, but I want to know real quick about this new music coming out. Yeah, yeah, I've got to... So, last year I put out my first full-length album. That was a really good life goal to have accomplished. And so then, almost right away, I was like, all right, what's next? You know, what's next? And so, there's a song coming out called Dogwoods. It comes out on January 26th. So, depending Mm -hmm. when you're hearing this, maybe it's already out there for you. But um, it's about this uh, old Appalachian legend of the dogwood tree. And my, my mama, my dad's mother, used to always tell us this legend around Easter about how the dogwood tree and how it relates to Easter and stuff like that. And so I had always wanted to write a song. 
and get the legend of the dogwood tree in there. It's very Appalachia. It's very home for me. And so that's what this story, uh, the song tells a story of like two people through the lens of this, this, uh, legend of the dogwood tree. Well, I've heard, um, I guess, I don't know if I was supposed to have the copy. I think Rachel, Rachel sent it to me and and it sounds beautiful. The city that I'm from is a suburb of Birmingham and they have the longest running dogwood festival in Alabama. Love it. So I know the dogwood and it's actually the sign of the crucifixion. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, like in the song, I talk about the little crowns on their heads and crosses on their necks. And all those are part of, I can still hear my mama telling this story about, oh, it looks like little blood and your piercings on the on the right. flowers. And it's said to be the tree that that was Jesus was crucified on was this dogwood tree. And it's, this, it's very deep south. Like all throughout the south, people know this legend of the dogwood right. tree. And so I just thought that was so beautiful to couple that with, you know, real life and these like good memories that I had. And so that was kind of the way I thought to do that. Yeah. They have a, I read an article about it one time where they had said that they don't have any evidence that there was a dogwood in the Middle East. Yeah, for sure. But, (laughs) but there's also the folklore that they, uh, Jesus stopped it from growing there after his crucifixion on it. Yeah. And that's why I, I was always heard that. That's why it looks so like, you know, dogwood, they don't ever hardly grow straight. They're all like kind of wonky and you know, they get stunted a little bit. They don't get super big. And that's kind of why, I don't know. I always kind of heard it that way. But I, I love, I love all that old like folktale kind of stuff anyway, oh, you know, so like, I like trying to work those legends into my stuff. Well, let's talk about folktale and whatnot. Um, so you're from Appalachia, mm-hmm. living in Michigan right now. Yes. <laughs> but how important is the Appalachia sound and the upbringing on your music? It's, it's honestly everything to me. You know, I, I found myself in, in Michigan through a series of events, you know, when I was doing the corporate thing before all this music stuff took off. And, um, but I'm still in Appalachia all the time. Like my, most of my family's in West Virginia and it's so important to me to keep that authentic part of myself because, you know, you'll never meet somebody from West Virginia who within five minutes doesn't tell you like, Hey, you know where I'm from? West Virginia. Like they want you to know it's, you're very proud of where you're from. And, um, I've heard my guy CWG talk about that a lot too, like how it's so important to keep your home state as your roots. And that's such a big part of just me. It's, it's who I am. And so I feel like it helps me stay grounded in it. It's um, the thing I love the best. So I I can easily write about it. Do you know, uh, I can never remember this guy's first name, but I think it's Bascom Lunsford. (sighs) I don't, I've heard that name before, but I, I don't know. So this kind of is following up on what you just said. So Bascom Lunsford is a guy that's from Appalachia Mm -hmm. and he is one of the guys who's credited with really getting the Appalachia sound and folk out yeah. in the 20s. Yeah. Outside of what happened in Bristol, uh-huh. for which was the big bang for country music, yeah. Bascom was a guy who wanted to take the Appalachia sound out into the masses. And he, to try to, you know, downplay the hillbilly stereotype, <laughs> he would dress up in a press white shirt and a bow tie. Love it. And he would go out and Take, he went around collecting all these songs and he would take it out and get people to listen to it, but he would present himself in a different manner. Sure. But he, but the one tenet that he had was, we will never change our music. Right. We're not going to try to make it more commercial. And if you look at what's happening with Appalachian Sound even today, yeah. and someone like you is, and what you were talking about with Charles Wesley Godwin, yeah. uh-huh. that is very much like the founding principle and the remaining principle of the songs that we don't change for anybody. That's right. We want to take it to everybody, but we're not going to, you know, change for a radio sound, if you will. That's right. And, you know, I've always been drawn to good storytelling because that's such a big part of our culture. 
you know, I mean, everybody loves storytelling, but in Appalachia, it's such a, it's a, such a rich way of how we live. It's how you learn these old fiddle tunes and stuff too. When you're growing up, like, Oh, this is how uncle so-and-so played it. You want to try out like this? And it, th- these like legends and stories get passed down. And then, you know, any family gathering, birthday party, Christmas party, whatever, hanging out after this or that, there's always instruments around. Like music mm-hmm. was always a part of my life in that way. And I think that's why I have so much joy when I get to play is because it just reminds me of, it's my most comfortable place. And so like keeping that authenticity in our music is such a priority because it's it's like a thing that's that's kind of ours and that we want everybody to enjoy it you know, how it's kind of meant to be. I have, would say. You, have you ever heard In the Pines by Lead Belly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that song is reported to be, they don't know who wrote it, Yeah, but they know it was pre-1870 mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And then the way that song is led on, have you ever heard the recording of Lead Belly doing it? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Ben, I wish we could play it for him. <laughs> it's the most beautiful. It's almost like kind of like what Oliver Anthony did. It's yeah. just him and his guitar. That's right. And it's so beautiful. I love raw stuff like that. But in the pines, look at that song. I will. Bill Mon- well, I mean, Bill Monroe yeah. covers it. Nirvana did it on mm-hmm. their Unplugged album. Mm-hmm. And I love when you see these Appalachia old folklore songs. Oh, 100%. That go wise forever. So what are the, some of the big tunes for you Well, I th- so I can get exposed to some more? So I think of one, this is kind of a softball, this first one, because there's a song that we grew up singing that you know all the words to. Um, it's a very old song. It's called The West Virginia Hills. And it's like, it's it's more of our state song than Country Roads is or anything like that. And it's a very old, old tune. I think it was written, I don't remember. I'm, I'm going to get the year wrong, but it's it's a great one. And it's like, it's basically all about, but home, but it's very West Virginia, sp- specific to, you know, being from home. And then I think a lot of, I used to play in the, this thing called the Vandalia Gathering every year in Charleston, mm-hmm. West Virginia. It's like a bluegrass fiddle contest. And um, even more than the specific song, like the style of how you would learn is that you know, my dad, I have these memories of my dad walking me up to a group of players, pickers and players. And I remember there's this song, Cripple Creek, that oh, I yeah. learned, you know? Yeah. And so he'd be like, hey, play us for him. So I play it. And the banjo player would be like, hey, try this little lick right here. Can you do this? But And then these guys are, well, I, I grew up hearing it this way. And and like this, then this thing right in front of you, like turns into this beautiful, only happening right now, this way, this one time version of you know, Cripple Creek. Something simple turns into something really extravagant. And I always think jazz and bluegrass are like first cousins in that way. Oh, yeah. So much improv and so much of like. And the changes. How are we feeling? And yeah. The changes and all that stuff. So that, that, when I think of like Appalachian music, I think of like that, that process like happening with friends and, and that's how you keep things alive. I love it. You know? Well, um, let's focus on another thing that you had re- happen recently. Mm-hmm. Tell me about going on and going deep into uh, America's Got Talent. Yeah, that was a, a crazy experience. I like like everything in my life. I just wanted to try to make the most of it, and I wanted to first off like have fun with it and try to do something that would be very memorable. So when I found out I was going to be on the show, um, I was still trying to nail down the song I was going to do. And with TV, it's such a beast because of one clearance. So you might have. 50 songs and okay even if the tv likes it does the band is the band okay with it 
So I remember I was boiling down the last couple, and I didn't know it was going to be that system of a down by chop uh, uh, chop suey by system of a down until two days before. Oh, really? So like I had a couple prepared, but then I was like, okay, for sure it's system of a down. Like the band loves it, they're good with it. Whatever we got, we got legal clearance on it. I'm like, okay. So then, like for two days in my hotel room leading up to the auditions, I was just like dialed in on getting that thing done you know how many noise complaints did you get lots lots <laughs> but but there was also like a trumpet or a brass group on our hallway too so there's a lot of agt contestants at the same you know hotel they put okay, us up that's in good. and so the audition process is really fun that's all pre-taped you know so you go do it but there's a live audience there and i knew how the auditions went so i was like i felt really good about the mm-hmm. audition and then i got the call back to be on the to be on TV. So I'm in all, you know, all these few rounds through and like live doing something on live TV is a whole different can of worms. I imagine, you know, but the band, the band director that was in the, I think I had, uh, there was four people playing with me that this, uh, girl on the drums crushed. It was like an accordion, an electric guitar, electric guitar and a bass guitar. And the guy playing the bass was also the music director. So he's in your ear, you know, giving you your cues. And he was a John legends music director. Hmm. So, I mean, just a, all these people were just pros, pros, you know? And then you work all this time to basically do this two-minute performance in front of 10 million viewers live. It's a very unique, you know, feeling to be doing it that way. But it was, I had so much fun doing it and it was a cool experience. What are the nerves like? Do you, when you go out there, are you thinking there's 10 million people watching this? Well, one, you can't help it because... You spend a lot of time with the judges and stuff because of your for the live shows, you're there for a couple weeks, you know, preparing and everything, getting your choreography down. I had, I wanted pyro so bad. So I was like, I don't care what else we do, we have to have lots of pyro. Like yeah. I just, if I if I have the budget, we're doing pyro. So um, you know, Terry is backstage with you. And uh, so we're just waiting in the wings and there's the, the the live round, you're seeing all these different timers, and there's a counter in the back that shows you at the moment how many people are watching you. Oh, shoot. So Terry's like, hey, look at that. You know, so you walk out there and I had four body packs on me. You know, my, my sound, the director, the TV producer, and the track, uh, or the, the band and the click track. So as I'm walking out, three of them fall off like during the commercial break and the tech people just, they're so pros. Like they just run out, you know, and you, you get very close to the wardrobe people. So the wardrobe lady runs out, rolls down my, the front of my pants. They're like clicking it. I'm just standing on the stage like this. There's thousands of people in the audience. I'm just standing there, put me back together, roll my pants back up, do all this stuff. And it was like five, four, three, two, one. And that's when you saw me do the live, the live show. That's what happened. Like that had all just got snapped back on me. And it was like, go. Do you know I think that helped you? You think so? Yeah. There's a famous scene from a show I love about the West Wing where he's, <laughs> he's about to go out and do a debate and his wife cuts his tie. Yes, I know what you're talking I love you that know, show. Yes, uh, me too. I love, that I love show. anything by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. But the point is, so now he's having to run to stage, put on some tie that hasn't been, quote mm-hmm. unquote, mass tested by mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. But he goes out there and kills it. Yeah. Because your mind is so, I mean, like after you just saw 10 million people, you're yeah. probably in that state of mind. But yeah. then when all of a sudden something goes wrong and now it has to, your mind is like, what am I, what's going to happen exactly but i think it helps you in a weird way well you know and you you know you're like um not in a cringy way but like i honestly didn't have to think about the playing part because you practice it so much you know i'm just trying to remember like where am i supposed to be you got the cameras like swooping down and you're seeing the judges you know and then you see could see some people in the audience and you're just trying to like 
you know, trying to stay on tempo in key, like where am I at in the song? Cause my mom would start to wonder like, what's next, what's next. And then where am I, where am I in the song? But you know, so it's, I think you're right because I think when I was doing that, I wasn't able to really worry about other stuff. I was just like watching this timer. Right. I was like, there's no way they're going to get all this fixed. And there's just, there were just such pros. It was like, snap, 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 pants back up. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at the band director. He's like, we got plenty. We're good. We're good. You know? And then we just did it. So it was a crazy experience, truly crazy. Well, that's awesome for you. And I'm happy for you that you got that platform. What did you, what was your growth like after it? You know, I, it wasn't astronomical. I mean, it was definitely helpful in the sense of like exposing my stuff to new people. And I approached it like I've approached everything else. Like, however I get you in the room as a, in my little music world, I don't really care how you find me, whether it's through the fiddle stuff or you find me singing or whatever it is. So my goal was just to kind of increase my community and, to some new people. So I definitely had some growth, um, but it didn't, but for example, like a video like that Amazing Grace video, Mm -hmm. this is the power of social media. Mm -hmm. Like just on Instagram, that reel I think now has over 12 million views or something. And through that one video, I gained over 50,000 followers Wow! from one video. Yeah, I'm like a hundred of those views. This is crazy. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, what? Like that's a huge number. That's awesome. And so, yeah, that, it's, uh, I did have growth, but it wasn't like, it wasn't still as like impactful as like, if you have a video go truly organically, you know, viral. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Ben, pull it up there. His America's got talent. Let's just show them how much of a badass Philip is. Cause he is just absolutely jamming. I hope it's every time these ads come up. It's always always how it goes. I try to get it ready before. So the ads don't come up, but here he is jamming. Look at this man. That's, that's my boy, Terry. Yep. And then you're standing in front of Sophia and Heidi. Yeah. That's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Look at mom and mom dad. Mom and dad, yep. Your mother's expression was so beautiful. And I could, this right here, I'm like, oh man, my hat's falling off. My hat's falling off. I could feel it like. <laughs> it just started to get a little too. Yeah, you yeah, got a little yeah. gangster lean in your hat. Yeah. I love it. And everyone at home, I'm sorry. If, if we clip this, we can't play it because we don't have legal clearance. <laughs> Trust me, it sounds awesome. Trust but you me. look great, no. man. And you look like you're living in the moment. I That's love it. That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. Well, on top of being this amazing instrumentalist, you're really, really growing as a writer. Thank you. And I listened to a video the other day of you really getting vulnerable doing, uh, forgive me if I get the title wrong, yeah. pretending to be me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best pretender. Best pretender. Yeah, yeah. It really touched me. Thank you. You know, because you you kind of came out and said, look, this is just a skeleton, mm-hmm. but I'm working on something. Yeah. Not the song. I'm working on... That's right. I'm working on me. Yeah. So let's talk about songwriting and how you feel about it and your growth as a songwriter and whatever else you want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, songwriting is such a, a wonderful thing, but it's really, it's really difficult at times because... One of my favorite things about it is also what frustrates frustrates me about it right. is that you have to tell this very complex story in a very limited amount of real estate. It's not a novel. You basically get a couple of verses and a course. Maybe you have a third verse. Maybe you have a little bridge. That's really it, you know, to tell a story. And there's that real beautiful art of making it generally specific enough, not so specific that you only understand what I'm singing about if you know me personally, but to where like the highest compliment you can have is like when somebody hears a song, like, Oh, I like that immediately felt that, that I was thinking of myself in that, in that role. And so, um, towards the end of 2022, I just finished recording all the recording work for my album. And I was very 
very burned out. Like I was almost thinking about not even releasing it. I was thinking about quitting, you know, all that down, got down the dump. So I was very blue and um, it's just so much. It's all so much. And I was like, this is way too much. And I had got a call the day after Christmas to do mountain stage last year, which was, you know, a life-changing call for me because it gave me new life. I never dreamed I would do that. I mean, it was just the one of the best days of my life. And um, I was ready to quit, honestly. And then I got on there and then I did all originals and they got such good reception. And in our industry, that gave me such good uh, juice as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I started you know, hearing from people I would have never heard from. Oh, you got mountain stage and you did this. And they actually listened to my songs versus just the fiddle. And so that was all great. But then I had this really bad writer's block because I was taking on too much. Mm -hmm. And so the trick for me with songwriting is like, you hear people talk about, you have to treat it like a job and you really do. So whether you're feeling great that day or not, if you have writing time booked, you got to write, you got to write, you got to write. And then, um, I know this, you hear this all the time, but it is true that like you, you have to stay authentic to make the best songs. So when I try to write about something that maybe is not me, I really struggle. I don't ever think it's good. But then if I can try to be honest, even if it's hurtful, if it, if it feels hard, that's maybe when you know you got something good. Right. You know? Yeah. So. Um, you know, Steve Earle said one time, I write from life experience, mm. but sometimes reality don't rhyme. I think yeah. you have to have a good mix. That's right. You know? That's right. Uh, you know the saying, um, don't confuse activity with accomplishment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of doesn't apply to songwriters. That's right. Because you have to, you have to continue to work that muscle and yeah. stay active to get to accomplishment. Because yes. how many songs do you write that the world oh. will never hear? I mean, I have literally hundreds of voice memos, and then I have my notes app that is like chock full of like half choruses and partial bridges, and a notebook at home, um, just just full. But the awesome thing about that, like you were saying, is I just finished that Best Pretender song like two days ago. I finally finished okay. it. I felt good about it, and um, the bridge ended up being part of a chorus that I could never finish. I was like, oh. I'll, well, that fits. So I took this unfinished song to finish a song. And it was like, there all along, it was like finding the mis missing puzzle piece in the box. Yeah. Oh, that actually, I like that. I like that. It works. You know, I, I was hanging out with um, my buddy Josiah uh, from jo John de Bonneville's last night. And we're, and he's like, all right, you finished it, play it for me. And I was like, all right, tell me what you think, you know? And so like, I love being able to do that with other songwriters too, to get like an honest, vulnerable opinion of like does this is this hitting you like how i think it might hit you know that kind of a thing the guy that you the band or people that you just referenced is that who did vampire yeah, in appalachia yep, with you that's it yeah it's a it. really good song yeah yeah thank you there there are a lot of people that are you know doing songs like that i think charles west you know i love the coal uh coal country yeah uh zach zach Bryan's doing some great songs but that vampire in appalachia you talk about a song that hits. Mm -hmm. I'm not from there, but it just makes me think about the predatory nature of the businessmen up in the, oh, up in the coal mining country. Yeah, and honestly, I was very scared to play that because uh, the first time I ever played it for an audience was at Mountain Stage, and I've just felt like it was the right thing to do. And I wanted to, I wanted people to take it the right way. Mm -hmm. You know, as like as in we're all going through this together, not like me talking down to you because I'm whatever, you know, whatever. And it, it, it hit the right way, which is great. And pe it's really resonated with people. But that was a song that was hard for me to write because it's, a, you know, a lot of my music's a little more like positive. You know, that one is not a happy song, but 
um, I think it's such an important part of our story to tell from that region is just from what you said that the whole like people spend half their lives underground working and get sick or this opioid thing is it's truly terrible. And I honestly don't know one person in my hometown area that doesn't have a direct one-to-one correlation with somebody who's either passed away from it or is going through it. And so, um, yeah, I think when, when writing about hard things like that, that's the, the best way to treat it is just to try to be honest. But with that, approaching it from uh, almost like, I, I care about this, I love this thing. So I'm going to tell the story in that way, but also I'm not going to shy away from the reality of what the problem is. You I know what I mean? It. I love it. I love how true your music is. Did you see on the Sackler, um, I think it was on Netflix, where one of their first test markets for opiates was West Virginia oh, because of coal country, and oh, they yeah. knew they knew that they would be the market that would have the most pain and get relieved by it? Yeah. Well, imagine, imagine this. You know, you can make an maybe 80 grand right out of high school, go work in the coal mines. Mm-hmm. Now, doesn't, and so what happens is you're 18, you go buy your big Duramax or whatever truck you get. And then you're down there and you're working hard, you're working hard and you hurt your back or you hurt your leg. And what, what happened is these doctors were, these pain clinics and stuff, oh, this is a miracle drug. There's no side effects. And West Virginia has less than 2 million people. And sometimes these pharmaceutical companies were pumping in two, three times the population of pills. Right. And not just West Virginia, but like, like, uh, uh, some of the more rural parts of Virginia and Kentucky, all the way through Appalachia. And so then, like, you know, the son comes home and he's addicted. He can't stop. Brother gets it. Dad gets it. Grandpa gets it. And it's just um, a true predatory, just honestly despicable. It's it's awful. It's yeah. truly awful. And so a lot of times I think we always struggle to have to have our voice heard in Appalachia because sometimes people in whatever the big city market or whatever, they kind of look down on people because they live a certain way or because they live out in the country or because that whatever. And that's the most frustrating thing for anybody from the area, you know? And so uh, in any small way that I could do something that maybe helps us have a more like positive voice that, um, you know, and like I said, very small, I'm not, I don't know. I by no means have had any kind of impact, but like, I, it, that's what that brings me the most joy because that's very important to me to represent where I'm from well. Um, that means the most to me, definitely. Shows in West Virginia always mean like, like it's just, it's, I get the most nervous for those because it's the hometown crowd, you know? Really? Yeah. Like, because it's like, where you have the like, most support, probably. like healthy nervous, you know, because I want to, I want to do them right, you know? Yeah. I want them to be proud of me. I, like, I want them to, have, like, when you grow up there, anybody that does anything of note, in West Virginia, you know about it. Just like Lebanese people. You, anybody that's like even half Lebanese, you know about them. Right. West Virginia is the same way. Oh, th- you know this guy's from Charleston? Th- you'll never find more Jennifer Garner fans than in West Virginia because she's from Charleston. Yeah. Or Brad, like Brad Paisley. People love Brad there. Wow. You know? Well, I told you earlier, um, I pulled for Alabama and, yeah. <laughs> and y'all produced our coach. Yeah, Nick Saban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of good coaches from there. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful culture. And I don't think people realize it's it's it was the big bang for country music. Like I think I said earlier, mm-hmm. that's where it all started. Mm-hmm. Ralph Peer came down in '27 and recorded <laughs> country and wrote, recorded the Carters. And um, I mean, I love the I love up. the big whatever comeback or whatever you want to call it. There is such like a thirst right now for this more authentic sound and traditional instruments, whether it's a fiddle, mandolin, banjo, pedal steel, has made a big comeback. And um, I think it's because we, 
all craves like people enjoy something more authentic. Like authenticity is the authenticity is the best thing you have going Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. And I think there's something about that kind of roots music that just hits you different. You know. Well, again, they've stayed true. Y'all stayed true to yourselves and haven't been. I think about people. I had my Spotify rap list the other day, and Sturgill was number one, yeah, and man. Tyler was number there five. You go. Yeah. You know, and and their sound. I think. What did we just find out that uh, Tyler? Just now had his first, first ever time. charting. Yeah, I mean, how's that even possible? That's exactly, but that, that tells you the radio is not what it. It used to be the end all be all, right? But it, it ain't it anymore. But it's yeah. interesting to me that um, they come out and have their first radio. I don't even know if Tyler wanted that. Yeah, to be honest with I you, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't imagine that he was like. He's probably like, oh, that's cool, but it wasn't. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. I don't want to speak for him, but you know what I'm saying? I'm sure it was cool, but like, but how, but he almost seems now like a universally known name. It feels like maybe it's because I'm in the community, but like, you know, you know, it's crazy. How could that be that it could be the first one on radio? Do you know what happened back in 86 or 87? Randy Travis, uh, had a song on the radio that ended up on the pop charts <laughs> and he was on Warner brothers. Yeah. So he's walking through Warner brothers one day and one of the A&R guy comes and goes, congratulations, man, you got a song in the pop charts. And he looked at him and goes, all right, well let's work real hard and get it the hell off there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. That's good. <laughs> so I love it. But speaking of Appalachia sound, you've had a really interesting uh, relationship with a true talent, Charles Wesley mm -hmm. Godwin. Mm -hmm. Ben, if you will, Check on there. Watch, we're going to get hit with ads. So there's at least a picture of them playing. Yes, sir. I don't know if I have that on mute, but this guy is unreal. He is. And you are unreal. And I love to see two guys from the same state supporting each other. So <laughs> tell me about your relationship with Charles Wesley Godwin and your opinion of his music. And Yeah. I mean, I'm going to collab mean, with him. I couldn't speak more highly of him. Like, I, I truly love Charles. Like, I, um, he's a, a person that is been very like you know uh, he's a positive uh force for the, for the music community and i love how he writes because you know as his latest album proves basically that whole album is about family mm -hmm. you know and um you know i don't i don't write a lot about spend the night in jail and being wasted every night it's not my life that's just not who i am you know what i'm saying and it's not that it's bad or good for anybody else it's just like I couldn't write like that. Mm -hmm. And what's so great about Charles is that he writes in such an authentic way, which is what initially drew me to him. And then I met the guy who produced my first album, Zach McCord, through Charles. Okay. And um, so, and this this day actually was really cool because he was opening for Zach Bryan in Detroit. And he's like, hey, are you actually home? I was like, yes. And we were in town at the same time. He's like, dude, you got to come by. You know, we'll have you. Let's let's make some music together and blah blah. And so that day, um, we were just talking, and, and uh, that's when I played him the song that we ended up doing together on my album. Oh, can I? Yeah, and I was ready to put that. I had not played that song in forever because I had got some before I was before I knew better. I had I had got invited to send that song Oh Kana to uh, uh, a label for some feedback, and I thought, oh, this is my big break. This is amazing. I'm so good at this, you know. And man, I got the honestly the worst feedback I've ever gotten on any song it was like I mean it was like and it was brutal it was like save this for the home practice I've heard it before nothing special no potential I mean it was like this song has zero commercial potential and it's the best uh, now it's no song I've ever put out has done what this song has done which is and, and music subjective it's one person's opinion but it was crazy because I got invited to submit it to this 
person or this group of people, whatever it was, just to get that feedback. So I was truly like devastated. This is very early days, very early days. And I was like, I had not played that song. I just put it on the shelf. I was like, man, I'm not as good as this. I thought I was like, this was bad. You know? Wow. Isn't that crazy? And then I, um, I played it and, and I was like, do you think you'd ever want to sing something like that with me? He's like, I will absolutely. So I brought it back to life and then it, it has resonated with people in a whole different way. Well, screw whoever said that. Cause yeah. when I listen to that song, so I haven't been to the old Kana, but yeah. I can, it's one of those songs where you can close your eyes and you can see yourself there. That brings me a lot of joy. That's awesome. I mean, you paint that picture. Mm-hmm. I used to hate it when NSAI would send me um, song feedback and they'd be like, don't tell me, show me. <laughs> show me. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm trying to kind of grow as a writer. I'm yeah. like, I don't know the hell. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Now, uh, that, that, that's, I love NSAI. That they were, that was really helpful for me, especially when I was for that first year or two writing. And, uh, uh, they gave me great feedback on that song. So shout out to that's NSA. Awesome. I, yeah. I got I got three ones to watch uh, for three different songs that's I cool. submitted. Yeah. And it happened after I had been using it for about a year. Oh, really? Just to plug in SAI, either yeah. not an advertiser or anything. It's a but huge tool. If you're trying to learn as a writer, I mean, it might be helping you more commercial than kind of staying true to yourself, but they will give you such great feedback. And it's so much better than being outside of mama's, papa's, cousins, mm-hmm. brothers, sisters, who are all going to tell you they love your music. That's right. They'll give you the truth. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't think I've ever said this. I think it's okay. But like one of the song feedback things I, I got to do because of some stuff that happened with my writing is I got to do this thing where I basically had a few minutes with Lainey Wilson. This is before, like she was, I mean, she was doing great, obviously. And she reviewed one of my songs that made it on this record. And she really was so helpful. Like, like, you know, like it was a, uh, I forget what it's called with that, but you know, you, you could submit a song, you get a chance and they pick five songs out of this huge group. And so it's like a 45 minute zoom or whatever. So when it's your turn, you come on the screen, Lainey's there. She's talking about the song. Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing this? This is a great melody. Um, let's, let's pause for a minute. Isn't that bananas? When was this? Probably 2021, the very beginning, maybe, or 2020, at the end of 2020. How was she as a songwriter? Awesome. I mean, it was like cool because I was like, oh, this is like a true pro, you know, and she took her time. She, She sat there like this and like just listened. Like you would do in a writer's round. I had Love never it. done a writer's round at this point in my life. Okay. And I was like, oh, she's just kind of vibing. And she sat there for a minute and was like writing some stuff down. And she's like, hey, let's think about it this way. And it was really valuable for me because I was like, this is somebody who's doing what I want to do and who's taking the time. I don't know if she volunteers with the NSA or whatever. I still haven't met her in person, but when I meet her in person at some point, I'm going to bring this up to her. I'm sure she won't remember it. Right. But that for me... For somebody starting out who was trying so desperately to like get this craft honed, that was invaluable for me because it was like somebody who didn't need to do that, took the time out of their day, gave me some really great feedback and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. Yeah. She's she's just one of those talents that I, I'm just continue to be amazed by. She's a bright light for sure. You know, she moved here like in a camper. I think she lived in a camper for That's many, crazy. many years. Yeah. She's like you. She's yeah. someone that is just building and building and building. Yep. And I love seeing her shine. I said, I've said it so many times on the podcast, but Wait in the Truck is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, that's a great song. You're from Appalachia, so you have to love yeah. mur- you have to love murder ballads. Yeah, oh, I do I do love a good like gothic folk tune or a murder ballad or one of those, you know. <laughs> I was on here with Jim McBride and 
the first five minutes ever of this podcast is just me and him talking about murder and music. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a um, uh, Noam Pakilny, who's the banjo player for the Punch Brothers. Okay. I love the Punch Brothers. I love bluegrass, all this stuff. And he did like an album of his own, and he's got this song on there called A Folk Bloodbath. And if you've never heard it, it's a great tune. Say his name one more time. Noam, Noam, <clears throat> Noam. Pekilney. Okay, no one Pekilney. But he's just a banjo player for the um, for the Punch Brothers. And he's like a, obviously a world-class banjo player. But then he does writings and stuff too. And um, I love a couple of his tunes. Like this other song he did with Ifo Donovan um, called The Bird. And The Bird is a really great song. But this song from a gothic, gothic kind of like folk murder ballad, it's called Folk Bloodbath, and it's really wonderful. Well, my understanding is that if you go to or through Appalachia and you hear some of the little small guitar pulls, you'll hear just tons of great ones you've never heard. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to go up there and hear them. Yep. Uh, since we were talking about Charles Wesley Godwin. Sure. Uh, who are your dream collabs? And I'll, and I'll ask you kind of a three different areas. As an artist, mm-hmm. as a songwriter, and as a multi-instrumentalist. Because I will say this yeah. before you get your answer. Yeah. I think you're going to be playing with a lot of people very soon as, oh, as very a fiddle nice. player because you're just, yeah. it's going to be one of your greatest assets. I love, yeah. And I, I had the real true joy of, I got to play with Darius Rucker over the summer. No kidding. Yeah. I got to play, um, uh, I got invited to this like kind of celebrity event in Kansas City called The Big Slick. It was really a cool experience for me. And um, they have this big concert at the T Mobile Center, you know, 10,000 plus people. And uh, I got invited to play a couple songs with Darius, and I got to play Wagon Wheel with Darius. It was the coolest. Wow. It was the absolute coolest. And he's such a, could not speak more highly of him. He was so over the top, like, generous. And, you know, at Soundcheck, we played like maybe 30 seconds of it. And he's like, oh, you're going to be fine. You get, Yeah, let's do it. And that, so before that, that's all I played of it with him until like the actual show and it was the coolest it was that, the absolute coolest that's amazing yeah so who are your dream collabs all right dream collabs okay so as a songwriter i have always always loved james taylor i love the way he writes songs i love the way he tells stories mm-hmm. i admire him so much um i i love i've never i haven't met tyler in person yet i'd love to i'd love to work with tyler Childers at some point um and um, as an instrumentalist, John Mayer, I love, I've always loved John Mayer, but like, Amen. I thought I, like if I could, if I could have my fiddle up there and he could have his guitar and we could just riff for like 10 minutes, I think it'd be so much fun. So Unreal. would be the coolest. I love, I love him. Um, there's a guitar player called Matea Sasato. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but he's mm-hmm. all over TikTok and stuff, but he's one of my favorite, very similar style to John Mayer where he's just, his phrasing and stuff is just crazy. And um Songwriters, I I uh, I'm actually playing with this person at the Bluebird tomorrow, and I met him through a writer's thing. His name is Ronnie Bowman, of course, like a legend, you know, bluegrass writer and singer. And so um, I got to write a song with him this year, which was really really cool. And um, you know, I mean, living or dead, you know, I've always I grew up like, of course, like loving John Prine. Like I love Amen. John Prine, and I I love you know Bob Dylan and John Prine. Like that that style of writing really speaks to me. Um, Randy Newman. I love Randy Newman. Yeah. Because he tells stories in such a simple way that like hit you so, you know, deeply with not a lot of words. And I just, I love that. And so those are some of my, my writing collabs, I guess, and instrumental. I love how influenced you are by so much different music. I watch your streams and see, 
uh, System of a Down, Metallica, mm-hmm. Amazing Grace, yeah, uh, where the corn don't grow or yeah. where the green grass grows, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm just always fascinated by how, and just when you name Dylan and Prine, you know, mm-hmm. you were really all over the place in the best way possible as far as taking in all <laughs> yeah. kinds of styles, yeah. And I love how you're doing that. Uh, what's it going to mean to you to play the Bluebird now for the second time? Second time, because you, as I, again, you know. I've I've tried to do a little deeper dive into Philip's music this week and really kind of understand his passion for songwriting on top of being an artist and mm-hmm. and multi-instrumentalist. So what does it mean to you when you get into there that bluebird? Yeah, the first time I did it, I was so nervous because it was just I couldn't believe that I was getting to do that. Um and do like five or six tunes, you know, with these couple other guys like Kevin Mack and Jacob Lido were both there. And uh, Kevin's been such an awesome person to me. He's been such a good like mentor and friend and opened a lot of doors for me. And um, so to be able to be asked to come and do it a second time is really special. You know, I have, I have really great friends, you know, in town who have, you know, if who have like, you know, done the open mic thing there a bunch of times to try to work their way into getting that. And uh, I've just been really fortunate to be able to do come and do a whole show again twice. So this time we're doing it in the round. I haven't done that before. Mm-hmm. And it's myself, Ronnie Bowman, and Kevin Mack. So it's truly amazing. I'm really excited for it. Well, I would tell people this will probably be out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I would tell people to go, but it sold out immediately. Sold out, sold out in 12 minutes. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was crazy. That was the best uh, idea NSA I ever had was just to buy the Bluebird. Yeah. 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 So good on them. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> What about, so tell me, I do want to mention, I don't want to reduce you to a fiddle, just a fiddle player mm-hmm. or violin, but that was your first instrument, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. What was it about the violin at, f- at four years old, you said? Mm-hmm. What was it about the violin that, that drew you to it? You know, I this is a true story. I was just watching Sesame Street, and my, my sister was already playing the piano. My mom wanted to search all trial like an instrument, you know? And there was this uh, world-famous violinist called Itzhak Perlman. He's he's disabled. He is in a wheelchair, and he's like a concert master, just crazy classical violinist. And I was just dialed in on this guy. Like, I just was so mesmerized by this fiddle. And I told my mom, I told her, I was like, I really want to learn the violin. That's what I want to do. And I kept, you know, as only a four-year-old can, I just would not let it go. And so there was a music professor at the small college in our town, um, that would do lessons for local schools. It's very Appalachian. Just do free music lessons. Or wow. then, if you want to do it with him, he would do these private lessons. And he's an oboe player, so he did not play the violin, but he knew music. And so I did this method called the Suzuki method. It's like a a way that you can learn music. And so he knew music technique, but he did not play the violin. So for the first ten years of my music career, I learned the fiddle from an oboe player. That is crazy. Who just knew music. And he would he was awesome with helping me with my ear because he would like take away my music and he would just be like, just play. Or he'd put a song on the radio. What are you what are you hearing, Philip? Because he, he would he would tell me this like he's like, you hear music really differently in a good way. Hmm. And so he would be like, you know, just play what you heard, just heard. And I would do it. And I'd be like, now play it a different way. Play Mary Had a Little Lamb, but differently. So he would he was really big on like trying to learn improvisation and speak with your voice which is the instrument. So then, you know, when, when I got a little more serious, I, there's a, I, I switched instructors, you know, to like a, a, 
a professional viol- play <laughs> yeah violinist you know but uh, that's how it all started for me man i i think the reason i'm so amazed by you and your talent and i think i always feel this whenever i hear an amazing violin player i was in a guitar class one day just me and my teacher and you know he, t- he taught out of his house mm-hmm. and i was probably 13 years old and <laughs> could not learn this this one chord mm-hmm. um and i said man screw this i'm just gonna play violin and he goes hardest instrument to learn violin yeah and i was like i think that moment always stuck with me that anyone that can play this and master it like you have must have some serious talent and musical talent but i guess it helps that you start at four years old that's still unbelievable it's like when you go if you ever go to a place where kids are skiing or rollerblading and the little kids just fly by you you know like so much of the violin is that technique part of it. And so when you learn when you're younger, not only does it help with like the language of music, but it helps you with that. Cause you don't do the things you do with the violin with any other instrument really. Um, and so I learned guitar a second in college and I think it made it so much the, to me, the frets on the guitar seemed so forgiving because on the violin, like every little, whatever it is, 16th of an inch is a different semitone. So you have to be hella precise all the time. You can't miss. You know, can't yeah. ever miss, or it sounds awful. Whereas the guitar, you can kind of be in that fret and still sneak one in, yeah. you know? So um, it's a whole different can of worms, for sure. Yeah. They're, they're, I know you play guitar, but I felt like you were talking down to me just then, like I didn't know. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but, but I will say that what's weird about though is like, I can play great rhythm guitar and stuff, but like still lead guitar really evades me because of the spacing. You know, like I my brain is so dialed into like the, the small amount of, I have these big hands and on that fiddle, like, you know, there's only so much where, where you can go. Yeah. And the guitar, I see these lead players like all over the neck. And I just like my brain, like short circuits with lead playing. So I usually just stick with like, I'll put through my chords and sing and I'll let somebody else do like the, well, I didn't know that it changes from like 16th inches for you. So I bet when you get the guitar, like when you see guitar players, you're like, y'all have no idea how good you have it. Yeah. It's like, you get those frets. Which I mean, you're basically talking about your finger changes are are similar to like when you get on the 13th and 14th fret. Yeah. If even that much. Yeah, I mean, you you like, if this is the neck, every little spot is a different... I love it. You know, so... Um, well, let me ask you this. So, we talk about this on the show a lot, and it's going to be really interesting to ask you this for me personally, because a lot of the people I've had on here are Hall of Fame songwriters, Grammy-winning producers, mm-hmm. and they've really put together a long, remarkable career. Mm. And I like to ask them about, you know, what was your the drive in you? both as reflection and advice to others. Mm. So asking you, someone who's still early in the journey, but shows all the potential in the world, how are you navigating the waters of, of growing your audience mm. and really finding your dream, finding your lane, and then just pedal to the metal? I think that for me, you know, in, in 2019, the summer of 2019, I was down here for like a music conference a friend had invited me to. And at this time of life, I would only ever play music just for fun at home or like a random friend's wedding or something. And um, I was really not feeling fulfilled at all in the corporate world, you know, at all. Like I have my MBA in marketing, which has helped me a lot. My whole career in digital marketing, which has also helped me a lot. But I I would have so much trouble, you know, just feeling any kind of fulfillment in my life with what I was do for work. And so I remember stopping at a rest stop in Kentucky and I was like, felt this, like, I have to give this one more try. 
I cannot hang it up and never have really tried to make it as an artist. Cause I was like, I can do this. I know I can do this. And so I, I still have it on my desk at home. This little three by five card just says, create something every day, even if it's something small mm-hmm. and watch what happens. And I can tell you that through 2020, literally every day, and it, not one day went by where I did not at least touch something music related to try to do the work. And so the drive for me comes from going so long without having this in a meaningful way in my life to now being able to show my kids like, look, I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30. You know, it is possible. You don't have to quit. It's not just for 21 year olds. It's not just for whatever you can do it, but there's no substitute for the work. And, you know, I used to do, I had a few little local shows booked in Detroit when I was okay. I'm going to get this going. I'm going to play some songs for people. These old songs I wrote in college and then COVID happened. The whole world shuts down. So I was like, well, I got to find a way to do this online. So I just started doing stuff online and I would do two to three hour live shows, three to four days a week. Mm-hmm come hell or high water, as we say. Then I would take an hour after every single show and do like what I would call homework time. So anybody that followed me, sent in a tip, whatever. I'd send them a thank you note through email or DM. Welcome, here's my next live stream. Here's where you can find my music. Please tell a friend. And I I don't know how many hours I spent doing that. Like, I mean, this is for two years. I would do these, anytime I was home, live show, live show, live show, live show. And so I would just build this audience literally one person at a time. And so I was doing this interview the other day and somebody said, oh, but you, do you just feel so lucky that you're doing the Bluebird and you're doing this and you're doing that? I was like, I don't use the L word. Like, I was like, you're seeing this right now, but I haven't always had all these followers and stuff like that. That wasn't given to me. Like that is a result of thousands of hours of live shows where no one cared or maybe one person cared. Like, and I've played to plenty of empty rooms. And so when I go do a sold out show or something, like, I, I just can't believe it's even real because I, you know, I mean, I can, but it allows you to appreciate mm-hmm. like you're, you're, cause I know what it is to like get a babysitter, buy the tickets, drive to the show, get dinner, find parking. So I feel that healthy pressure when I do a show is like, I, whether it's a $10 ticket or a $30 ticket, I know what that is. And I appreciate it more than anything. I love so it. that is my drive is to be like, what's okay. We did today. What's tomorrow? What's tomorrow? And you said that was in 2019. So did COVID hitting end up helping you? I hate to say help Yeah, it did. I really. Because I mean, you were doing live streams from home? Yeah, because I had one, like the third or fourth one I did. And this is before I had no mic. I had I had a um, an old desk lamp that we had thrifted duct taped to the beam in my attic for like soft lighting. Like these lights here, I was just like, why well, can't I? F-? My, my rule was only music will pay for music. I wasn't going to take from my corporate job. I love it. Because that was paying for like the bills. That's your, that's your business degree right, right there talking. So I didn't have a mic. So I had uh, those old iPhone headphones with the mic. I had it like taped up to the bottom of my computer. So the mic was facing me. I didn't have tracks or anything. And this one video caught traction. It was on the front page of one of the biggest websites in the world, reddit.com. And so in one hour, I had a total of 800,000 viewers. Which song did you do? Just a bunch of different songs. I was like, request literally anything. Oh, okay. And I'll play them. I'll try to play it on the fiddle. Literally anything. Okay. And then I would pull out the guitar and be like, let me play you something I wrote. Sing one or two, play the fiddle. Sing one or two, play the fiddle. And I just so happened to, an editor from Yahoo was in that live stream. 
And the next morning I woke up and I was on the front page of Yahoo for this funny song I wrote about being in quarantine. And that was the first thing I, where I ever had like any kind of attention on me. And I was like, oh, this might be possible to do this online this year. So I just started building it that way. Oh, that's amazing. So you kind of turned, um, you know, if you play down on Broadway, maybe you'll do a bunch of covers. Mm -hmm. And then you might throw an original in That's there. Right. So you kind of turn live stream into like other people that do it out live. That's exactly it. And then it was all viewer funded. So it was like, if you want to hear a song, it don't matter what it is, like here's the, the tip jar, Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, whatever it was. And it just once somebody, one person would do it, it just wouldn't stop. I love it. So, you know, two, three dollars at a time, five dollars at a time. Okay, got enough to buy a mic. Boom. Bought a mic, buying a camera, buying this. You know, you, you know? sound like Mr. Beast when he's telling about growing his channel. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, the thing is, like, some people will think, like, it just, you do it five or six times and boom, it happens. But it doesn't work like that. Like, month 50 is a lot different than month five. And so there have been plenty of times where I just feel like I don't feel like doing this today, but I said I was going to do it. So I'm playing this thing. I love it. And that's been some of the most, like, you never know who's in a show or who's, who's going to see it or, like this morning, like I had no idea that this person from the Today Show was listening to my music. Crazy. And on a whim pulls it out. This is Philip Bowen, puts it into the mic. And my Spotify was going crazy. Unreal. Just from, and you never know what the day will bring. Well, that's what's really important. Listen, I think a lot of the people that moved to Nashville, look good on them. They're chasing a dream mm -hmm. here. But um, even from this, from your home studio, you kind of proved which most people want to know as they start to associate with someone that they've done the work. Mm -hmm. They've played when no one was there. Yeah. You look on that little thing and it says maybe two, two viewers three. and you're still playing your heart out. That's really where you weed out the people that really want it for the art and for the love. That's right. Versus the people that want the fame and fortune and attention. Mm -hmm. So good on you for that, man. And then when you, when you have that moment, like, mountain stage and it's sold out and I got done playing and Kathy Matea who's from West Virginia oh, she yeah. sang the last song with me which I was like having trouble not crying I was like this is so cool and so we got this big I don't mean this you, you, are, you uh, I don't mean this to sound cringy but you know I'm saying this but like so this big standing ovation right I had never had one in my life ever and and I was frozen I was like like people were standing I was like crying and Kathy Matea hugged me and she said wow this is it. So what you told me, she said, this is the feeling, right? And I said, yes. And I like, I still like get chills thinking about that moment. And that like saved me from quitting. I really believe that. Like I was like new life. That's awesome. New life. Let's go. That's and awesome. that was like, just, uh, it was really special. I, I love her for that because she was just in it with me and was like, this is it, right? I was yeah. like, yeah. She, she's amazing. And um, I love I love Mountain Stage. It's one of the few reasons I listen to NPR oh, on the weekends. Incredible. I'll, listen, I'll catch it on the weekends on Saturday night. Yeah. What a tradition, too. Like 40-some years of this. It's like, unreal. Yeah, the best. And you can hear everybody on there. Some of your other, uh, Allison Krause. Yeah. Whatever. That's who you need to collaborate oh, with. Oh, it'd be awesome. Would love to. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we get out of here, Ben... Let's put up here. So what do you want to put up here, Philip? You want to put up the website? Mm. Tell people how they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So here we go. We got Philip. What's the website? It's just philipbowenmusic.com. Easy breezy. Uh, in case for people that are listening, Philip has one L. One L. Yep. That's true. 
which I obsessed over for like five minutes before I finally sent him an email because I was like, is it two L's or one oh, Thank you so much for that too. Like, because There's been some times like I did something big and it was up there with two L's and I was like, no. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, um, social media is still a big part of my life. So any platform, you know, Philip Bowen and, uh, you know, on your favorite music platforms, whatever, you can find my stuff and like I said, my next song I have coming out is called Dogwoods and I'm okay. working on this, working on this second album. We'll see if it gets... I'm going to try to do another one this year if I can. I don't know if I can swing it, but we'll see. Pump it out, man. Yeah, exactly. And you have a platform to where you can get immediate reaction from your audience to know, you know, if this song's on the right track. It's like a beautiful, like, real-time test lab. Yeah. You know? And if people are loving it, cool, I'll just finish it out. You could put on a rough cut and people eat. You know, it's like, it's such an interesting time and space for all of that. And you know. for me, for me personally, I wanted to mention that when I, when I again, I know I'm going to get the title wrong, but I wanted to call it, I call it pretending to be me, yeah. even though it's the wrong title. I yeah. apologize. Close. But, That's right. but for someone like me, who's looking at your music and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I wanted to tell you that today, like, man, keep working on that. That's, that's solid. So now Thank I'm you. glad to know that you've, so it's now done. like for me as a fan, I'm excited to hear what you finished a couple of days ago. Yeah. The finished product. So and like, I'm, I'm going to play it at the Bluebird. Oh, awesome. So I'll play it like, you because it's like a, you get to, I, what I love about the Bluebird is you get to tell your story about the song and then you play it and then you get the reaction or whatever. And so um, I love, I love being able to do that. So like, I'm like, that one feels good. I played it for a few different people. So I'm going to try out there and see how it does. Well, I'm wishing you the best of luck on the performance, everything in the future. And I hope I'll have you back on when you're around Nashville, because man, I'm just so excited to see where things go for you. Thank you. You're doing so amazing. It's been an honor having you on. Yeah. It means the world to me. Thank you for uh, having me out. And it's so cool to meet you. Yeah. Same. Thank uh, you. It's funny when you say somebody on the internet all the time, you just laugh. You're like, man, I finally get to meet them. Yeah, well, you're like, you meet people and they will look at you because you're in the, you're in their pocket basically all the time. Yeah. So they don't know. I hope he's the same. Yeah. So. Oh, you are. I, I appreciate that. I love that's. I've learned that you're very authentic. You're the Thank same you. person in person that you are on, <laughs> on the live streams. Well, listen, man, once again, I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's going to be about it for Country Drive. Bye, y'all.